full speed ahead. It's the midday program on the Rural Radio Network. And information from all sides and all angles here as we get you up to date on everything you need to know all around the region. And we go, first of all, to our game. We always love to play Where's Susan? Any guesses over here, Jason Jorgensen, on Where's Susan? In Nebraska? No. Uh, uh, Not in Nebraska. Scott, what do you Um, think? I'm going to go with Iowa. No? Wrong. Wrong. Okay. I guess we have to go to the source and find out where's Susan today. Susan is in downtown Kansas City overlooking the beautiful (sighs) city line with the trees changing as our National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention gets underway. That's right. They, They like you there. They do. It was funny. I walked in the door to the hotel and I got three hugs from three different employees Did welcoming you? me back. Yeah, so I heard the red carpet was cool. coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we'll listen for your reports there from the National uh, Association of Farm Broadcasting, I believe it is. And yep. uh, Susan, what have you on us? Uh, what have you for us on midday today? <laughs> well, lots of things going on. We encourage you, of course. Jump over to the website. Uh, Bill Northey is talking a little bit about the delay that he's seen in his um, nomination to be a part of the USDA crew. The, and of Iowa, course the, the Iowa farm director, right? Yep, the director of agriculture for the state of Iowa. Coming up at 1219, we'll get another update from Water Street Solutions. And then at 1245, it's part two of my conversation with Craig Uden, who is the current president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We talk more about exports and of a what it means for, for producers across the nation. And at 117, Randy Lloyd's going to join us. Bruce Gorder talks to him. He is the DeKalb Asgro dealer on where they are harvest progress and some of the issues that they've seen this harvest season. So a few other things happening on the midday from the Farm Department. All right, very good. We'll let you get back to your convention there, and uh, all the best Sounds to good. all of those uh, fellow broadcasters in Kansas City. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Jason Jorgensen on sports. Eight-man football playoffs continue today and tonight across state in classes D1 and D2. It'll be a little chilly for some of those games, but it's November. Hey, that's what we do here. And they're still playing. Also, Nebraska men's exhibition basketball tonight at home against Northwood, who is coached by former Husker, and I remember this guy, don't ask me why, Jeff Reckaway. Jeff Oh, yeah. From Lincoln, captain. Uh Uh-huh. Played a couple of years for the Huskers. Well, he's that. been a coach in Northwood. Northwood. Where? Where's Northwood? It's a Division II school in the Michigan area. Okay. All right. Just so uh, they needed a game. Huskers needed a game. And bring back one of the former players. That's so we'll cool. hear from Coach cool. Miles about that. Very nice. Also, the football team needs to win a couple of games here if they'd like to be bowl eligible. And yesterday, quarterback Canner Lee was asked about the Huskers' motivation at this point in the season. We'll let you hear what he had to say. What? <laughs> that's, I think that's been a question all year long. Motivation. I'll play for you, you play for me. and We're playing for the coach. We'll all get together and play a game. After all, it is only a game, right? Still. Sure. Uh-huh. Scott Foster uh-huh. on the business desk. Well, uh, stocks are slumping just a little bit. Uh, oil prices are down today after hitting a two-year high yesterday and of course uh, the big news in washington with the tax cuts they're starting to write those and of course people are taking sides and asia is uh, bracing for 
Maybe some unexpected announcements from President Trump while he's there. All right. And uh, Bob Brogan is on assignment today. He will be anchoring our Rural Radio Forum today as we look at immigration at 3 p.m. today here on the Rural Radio Network, presented by Jason Finch and Associates Immigration Law Experts. But when between now and then, we have midday on the Rural Radio Network. Paul Perkins steps in for a look at ag weather. It's pretty cold, but it could have been a lot more snow than anybody got. Yeah, especially uh, as much as they got in the southwest corner of the panhandle, up to six inches of snow well, being reported there. That's enough to go around. If we spread that over the whole <laughs> yeah, state, that's go. about what we needed, I think. At the most, we saw just a light coning in many other places and right. maybe just a few skiffs on left on vehicle rooftops. <laughs> that's about it, yep. Okay, so as we move forward, uh, we're heading into... To, uh, some not bad conditions as we move uh, on into the weekend. Huh? Yeah, just kind of have to endure what we're going through for today. Some very cold temperatures for today. The clouds also sticking around for much of the day. Most of us with a lot of cloud cover. We do have a patch of some partly cloudy skies over northeast Nebraska from Albion into the northeast corner of Nebraska. Still a little bit of light snow towards Fall City and that far northeast corner of Kansas, but very light. Temperatures very chilly in the Panhandle. Still down to 23 at Sydney at an alliance. Most of us otherwise in the mid-30s to around 40. And our temperatures today expected to be about 15 to 20 degrees colder than normal after that cold front moved through last night. Tonight we will see the skies clear thanks to high pressure dropping in. That will bring us some light winds and lows for most of us tonight expected to drop into the low 20s. As that area of high pressure drops off towards the south and east tomorrow, we'll be on the backside. Some southwest winds kicking in with some milder air. But you always know when we do have these mild upticks in the temperatures, another cold front just has to be on the way. <laughs> and yes, it is. On Thursday, it's not going to be a big cool down, but we will see another cool front on Thursday drop our temperatures. It looks like the main precipitation chances with this front going to be off to our north. The temperatures do warm up with dry conditions for Friday through early next week. There is another front that will move into the area on Saturday, but it's Pacific air, and that will change our temperature very little and actually keep it pretty mild as we head into early next week. In the long term, high pressure ridge moving farther east will result in warmer than normal temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas. It's a pretty good bet on that Sunday through November 20th. That ridge of high pressure also will help to keep Nebraska and Kansas with below normal precipitation Sunday through the 20th. Weather factors affecting the market trade include very cool and damp conditions slowing the Midwest harvest and a continued chance of needed rain in central Brazil. The next few days, cold air will settle across the south. Warmth will return across much of the west. And by Friday, above normal temperatures will spread as far east as the high plains. Mostly dry weather will cover most of the country over the next few days, except for some late-week snow squalls downwind of the Great Lakes. Harvest progress the slowest right now in the northern and eastern Midwest because of cool and damp conditions. The corn harvest more than 10 percentage points behind the five-year average in all Midwestern states except Illinois, Michigan, and Missouri. Nationally, corn harvest is 70% finished which is about a week behind average. Individual states, though, are facing greater lags. On the plains, cold, mostly dry weather prevails in South Dakota. Nearly half of the winter wheat right now rated very poor to poor, and some of the northern plains wheat poorly established due to drought followed by sudden cold. Rain in central Brazil continues to improve the conditions for planting and developing uh, the soybeans after some hot and dry conditions. Central Argentina weather continues to be favorable for their planning and development of corn and also the developing winter wheat there. 
Ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. And to look across that weather map and looking for anything that's clear across Nebraska, we found just that one little smudge there from about <laughs> Columbus on up toward Norfolk. Yeah, we? I thought maybe it was just maybe a little bit of a glitch in the satellite photo, and we verified with the cam uh, weather cams up there, and actually very nice in Norfolk right now with some sunshine. But right. it has been on the chilly side, though, for temperatures. Yeah. So those of you in Albion and Norfolk and Sioux City, <laughs> enjoy your sunshine or... The rest of us are not working on our tans today. Yeah, the, and those clouds are going to be socked in, and it's definitely uh, socked in with those clouds right now. Weather anytime. KRVN.com. nomination delay. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network with a midday check of your ag news. Department of Agriculture nominee Bill Northey says he expects the hold on his nomination will be resolved, but in the meantime is fulfilling his duties in Iowa. During a speech in Iowa, Northey said he's not bothered by his current situation, adding that until the political skirmish is settled, my days are for the most part consumed with being Iowa Secretary of Agriculture. Northey is in the midst of his presumed last tour of Iowa Agriculture as the state's Agriculture Secretary, having visited more than 80 counties. Northey's nomination as USDA's Undersecretary for Farm and Foreign Agricultural Services by President Trump is being held up by an oil state senator. Republican Ted Cruz of Texas is demanding a meeting with Trump administration over the renewable fuel standard, perceived retaliation after ethanol-producing states convinced the administration to drop two proposals that they claim would weaken the RFS. And the Government Accountability Office will investigate an appearance by Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt in a video by the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Pruitt appeared earlier this year in a promotional video against the EPA Waters of the U.S. rule. In the video, Pruitt called for public comments in favor of repealing the rule. The GAO has been asked to check if Pruitt violated laws on the use of appropriated funds for lobbying and the publicity or propaganda purposes and the Anti-Deficiency Act, according to Politico. In August, critics and so-called government experts suggested that the video makes EPA seem like it is not really open-minded and that the public participation doesn't really matter. In the video, NCBA suggests that viewers take action and tell EPA to kill WOTUS. And Cargill Incorporated will pay a $10 million fine for providing inaccurate information on swaps to protect its revenue and for failing to supervise the company's swap dealers, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission said yesterday. The CFTC said that beginning in 2013, Cargill did not comply with regulations on thousands of complex swaps that affected hundreds of counterparties. Cargill, one of the largest agriculture commodities traders in the world, provided inaccurate marks that concealed as much as 90% of its markup. Cargill, in an emailed statement, admitted no wrongdoing but said it was enhancing its internal controls and employee training programs inside its swap dealer division. And Monsanto Company has asked Arkansas to block a member of a state regulatory body from participating in a hearing next week that could ban a weed killer linked to crop damage, saying he is biased, the company's latest attempt to defend the product. Monsanto wants to prevent Terry Fuller, a member of the state's plant board, from taking part in action involving new versions of herbicides that
that contain a chemical known as dicamba, according to a letter from the company seen by Reuters. Fuller, in an interview on Friday, said he represents Arkansas seed growers on the board and believes the herbicides are a threat to crops. And he says not one weed scientist that I know says it's not volatile, not one out of any state that I can find. The state plant board will hold a hearing on the proposed ban tomorrow. And finally, China will commit to buy more U.S. soybeans during President Donald Trump's visit to Beijing this week. A U.S. industry official said, underlining the importance of trade and farm goods, even as tensions grow between the world's top two economies. China is the world's biggest soybean importer and the U.S. is its largest supplier. Chinese soybean buyers will sign a letter of intent with the U.S. Soybean Export Council committing to purchasing a certain volume of soybeans in the future. Paul Burke, the body's North Asia regional director, said today. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news for this Tuesday. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Build your landlord's understanding this fall. That's our topic of discussion today with Jason Ladman, Director, Water Street Solutions. Jason, what tips do you have for working with landlords? Well, working and staying in contact with landlords is something that should be on the priority list year-round. But we often start thinking about it more during the harvest time frame. And it's common to start thinking about production on those particular rented acres and what the landlord is going to feel when that final number is in. Now, with the exception of making production decisions on these acres, we usually have little control over how rent is going to be approached each year. If you're a person that rents a vast majority of your acres, then this uncertainty can make it seem even tougher to work on forward-looking plans, but rest assured, it can still be done. And one way is by being proactive with your current landlord relationships. Having a very transparent relationship is a good way to help manage any uncertainty that comes with rental ground. And really, you should want to take the time to build and develop a strong working relationship with each landlord, treating them individually and not all as a group. This is important on many fronts, but probably pays the most dividends when it comes to setting the stage for any negotiations that come up when contracts expire. How can we build those relationships, Jason? Well, one way to think about this is to consider how well you're bringing your leadership talents into conversation with the landlords. You need to be keeping them up to date with what's happening in your operation and with what the situation looks like right now. And, you know, harvest can be a good time to continue doing this as you're starting to get a clearer picture of how your year is going to end up, as well as while you're starting to project what next year is shaping up to be. And bringing leadership into these discussions with your landlords really means giving them a clear picture and idea of what's going on in your particular operation. Giving them a sense of the story of what has taken place if you haven't already shared that with them this year. And work to build their understanding of your farm's current situation and what things are like right now in farming and in ag. Now, I understand that many will have an understanding on that macro level, but bringing it down to your personal level can and will make an impact. Now, depending on the landlord's background and their current circumstances, they may need more or less explanation from you about this. But nonetheless, be transparent with them. Share what you've done and what you're going to continue to work toward in order to have a successful year. And also be sure to ask them what they think is going right in this relationship. Be somebody who looks for feedback from them as well. And having regular update conversations with them throughout the year creates a foundation for a much stronger relationship. See, you have to get a clear understanding on what your landlord's concerns and worries are. You should ask what you can do to be a better tenant and be curious. Be curious about them and their life in general and remember to keep track of what you learn because it can help you in the future. You've touched on a number of subjects, Jason. What else should we keep in mind? 
Well, knowing who your landlord is and what's important to them is really important. Make sure you're regularly helping them understand the current realities of your operation. But make sure and convey to them that they're not sharing this information as a leverage point for lower cash rent. They need to understand the state of the farm, so to speak. And remember, this is their farm, their ground, and it may have many emotional ties. Never discount what a landlord shares with you concerning the ground you farm. Now, I realize for some landlords, it really is all about the money. But for a large percentage of landlords, it's all about the land, the history, the connection, etc. Understanding these things can definitely help when negotiations for new contracts become necessary. So if this is an area that you'd like to get stronger in, please reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you. You can do that by going to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today we've talked about building your landlord's understanding this fall with Jason Ladman, Director, Water Street Solutions. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the state high school football playoffs continue in classes D1 and D2 in quarterfinal matchup in class D1. It's Creighton against East Butler. Johnson Brock battles Howells Dodge. And the western side of the bracket, Medicine Valley is hosting Perkins County, and it's South Loop at home this afternoon against CWCE in class D2. Mullen is hosting Lawrence Nelson this afternoon, and Twin Loop travels to Blue Hill. In the eastern bracket, it's Falls City Sacred Heart taking on Bloomfield, and BDS has a trip to Wynot. The Nebraska men's basketball team is in action tonight as they host Northwood in exhibition play. Now, Nebraska's lineup features a number of new faces, and head coach Tim Miles is excited to see what they can do. They might be new to our fans, not so new to us. You know, we've had them around, maybe redshirting or out injured or whatever it might be, uh, or recruited them for a great, you know, we recruited Thomas Allen forever, <laughs> it felt like. You know, we, we've known these guys for a long time, and I'm excited to get them on the floor uh, and, and just... Um, have a blast. I'm, I'm really looking forward to making Pinnacle Bank Arena a lot of fun. And you has looked solid this preseason with an exhibition win at Mississippi State. The Huskers also beat Iowa State in a close scrimmage, but they are predicted to finish near the bottom of the Big Ten standings again. Now, Northwood is coached by former Husker Jeff Reckway, who was a team captain for the Big Red back in the late 80s. Tonight's game starts at 7 in Lincoln. The Husker football team goes into its last three regular season games, needing to win two to achieve the six victories necessary to be eligible for a bowl. The Huskers have played in nine straight bowls, but since 1969, there's been just two years in which they failed to be eligible. Quarterback Tanner Lee says there's still plenty to play for. Playing well for each other, playing well for our, our coaches, you know, that motivates me more than anything. So I think, uh, you know, preparing hard and, and practicing hard and just having taken pride in that, that's, that's, that's plenty to play for. The Huskers visit Minnesota this Saturday with kickoff at 11 Central. Bedlam extends beyond Oklahoma the Big 12 Conference after a wild start to the month. Now Big 12 co-leaders Oklahoma and TCU play next. That will leave only one Big 12 team with one loss after those two collide this week. While out of playoff contention, 12th-ranked Oklahoma State, 23rd-ranked West Virginia, and 24th Iowa State all have four and two conference records and are still very much alive in the race to get into the league's first championship game in seven years. And the Kansas City Royals today announced its coaching staff for the 2018 season, promoting from within by naming Terry Bradshaw as its hitting coach, Cal Eldred as the pitching coach, and Vance Wilson as the new bullpen coach. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Mostly cloudy for the rest of the day with a high near 36 for tonight. Partly cloudy with a low around 20. And then for Wednesday, sunny with a high near 48. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Governor Pete Ricketts was at Hillsdale College in Michigan Monday delivering a speech during the college's Markets and Policy Seminar Series. Governor Ricketts spoke on ways to reduce the size and scope of government. Ricketts says... By 2031, at the current rate, entitlements and debt will consume the entire federal budget. That means nothing of what the proper functions of government are, like, say, the defense, national defense, or infrastructure. That'll all be crowded out. And that's why we have to focus on how we rethink, we talk about entitlements. And I'm going to, two ways that we should focus on that. First of all, whenever we're talking about entitlements, we should think about what is the actual goal for the entitlement? What are we trying to accomplish? And second of all, we should push that responsibility down to the states so that they can manage it. Ricketts gave an example of Nebraska's first-in-the-nation reemployment program at the State Department of Labor, where anyone seeking unemployment benefits has to sit down with a jobs coach first. Nebraska has the third largest contingent of students at Hillsdale College. Rural immigration and its importance to Nebraska's agricultural-based economy will be a topic of discussion today from 3 to 4 on 880-KRV and the Rural Radio Network. The panel will include Dr. Eric Thompson, professor of economics with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and director of the UNL Bureau of Business Research. Dr. Athena Ramos, Community Health Program Manager with the College of Public Health, University of Nebraska Medical Center, Omaha. And Emiliano Lerda, Executive Director of Justice for Our Neighbors, Nebraska, who has a background in food and agriculture law as well as immigration law and Latinos. How important are immigrants to the state's rural economy? Would a proposed guest worker program work? And if the immigration system is broken, can it be fixed? Those questions and more on the Nebraska Rural Radio Forum on rural immigration and its importance to Nebraska's agricultural-based economy. Today, from 3 to 4 on 880-KRVN and the Rural Radio Network. A Salina man who admitted killing his infant son will get a new sentencing hearing under an amended law involving how a court determines if a defendant has an intellectual disability. On Monday, 31-year-old Nicholas Corbin's sentence was rescheduled for February 23rd. Corbin and his girlfriend, 24-year-old Desiriah Overturf, both pleaded guilty to premeditated murder in the death of their three-month-old son. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or at Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Trade borders continue to broaden, and so do export opportunities. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Craig Uden is president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He and I sat down during this last week's U.S. Meat Export Federation to talk about exports. The other thing about trade is we don't consume all these different parts of the carcasses, okay? So they were talking today about the tongues and the livers and and let alone all the all the uh, uh, plate meat that we, we we send to the Asian market, but uh, consequently, trade adds a lot of value to the bottom line of every producer. Uh, we renegotiate NAFTA. We look at uh, the Cotus or Corus deal uh, with uh, South Korea. Uh, these are huge markets for us. It's almost three billion just those two markets alone. When we throw in Japan. We stepped out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Looking at a bilateral agreement, that's a one and a half billion dollar market. So, 
throw all them together and you're looking at about 75 to 85, 90 percent of our export markets are being uh, batted around here for renegotiation or, or we failed to, to meet uh, uh, the TPP. So we're constantly going to continue to push for trade because that is our future in the industry. We are the global consumers of the world in the United States. We consume more, more protein than anyone else. Uh, consequently, uh, there's not a lot of room for expansion there unless we want to lower our price greatly, and that doesn't work for most of our producers. So the, the future of our industry and the growth of our industry relies on exports. And uh, it's always really interesting to see the positive aspects of what trade does. But we have to r remain vigilant in our, in our push to continue to open markets and find new markets, as well as maintain and grow what we have today in order to uh, satisfy uh, the appetites of the world and make our industry the great uh, nation that it is. We, we, we really fill in on the world market the high-quality beef. Uh, How much nervousness do you guys have every time a new story comes on about NAFTA? and the what-ifs and the whens that seem to surround this well, <laughs> It's one of those things that may keep you up at night once in a while, particularly when the rhetoric gets ratcheted up. We hope that we can get the SNAFTA agreement finalized and, and finally out of the way. It's, it's be detrimental not only to the beef industry but all of agriculture because we do work with these countries. We have a zero, zero tariff or zero duty when we trade back and forth with these nations. And that adds to the bottom line immensely. Versus if you go to Japan right now, we've overshot our quota on, on chilled pro or frozen products. We're paying a 50% duty. That means that 50 cents for every dollar we ship over there for them to have our product. We could work that down to zero. They're already consuming a billion and a half dollars worth of our product. Just look what the potential there is. So we want to continue to make really smart, good, decisions. Agriculture in general is the positive balance of, of trade for the United States. So uh, we continue to push back and say leave us alone on these trade deals and help us open new markets to expand our business in the United States. We definitely see the the effects both then on the grain side as well. Sure. The nervousness that's there with NAFTA knowing that if that trade falls through, that's grain that may not get consumed by livestock to be shipped overseas. Well, and then, yes, what you, you, you have all declining markets. Today, right. I believe 30% of the export business of, of corn in the United States goes to Mexico. So that's huge. That's a lot of, lot of pressure and that nervousness out there. Not even not stepping away today, we found out today, just the nervousness with some of these trading partners has them looking at other markets. So consequently, we probably are losing some ground as we as we stand here today and talk about this because uh, if we would walk away from a trade agreement, these folks will be looking at other countries to fill our void that we would we would create. So consequently, yes, it's extremely important to all agriculture, but Nebraska is very important because we are the leading processor of beef. Uh, we have the most cattle on feed, and beef is what drives our economy. So it's very important for all agriculture, but particularly the beef in the state of Nebraska. I was doing some reading yesterday in regards to TPP that there is hopes by these nations that they're going to tweak it enough to entice the United States to say, okay, well, maybe we do want to be a part of it again. Well, we'd, we, we would love to be back into that, uh, that realm, but consequently today the other 11 countries are working
in tandem to uh, move forward with that agreement. And uh, that would just give them a leg up on us, and we would actually be boxed out. So we need to continue to keep looking at moving back into that agreement. But uh, right now, that's not what the administration wants. They want to work on a bilateral agreement. Uh, we want to help them any way we can to get there. Because uh, as we trade takes a long time, but as we've been working uh, working on this tra on these trade issues. Europe has came in and, and cut a bilateral agreement with, uh, with Japan. And uh, they had already signed over that they were willing to be part of the TPP. We're the ones that stepped back. So uh, trying to get that bilateral agreement, we're going to continue to push there. Comments with Craig Uden. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next up, our discussion about the livestock futures trade. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Yeah, it was a uh, kind of a fine finish in the uh, cattle after uh, being kind of uh, under pressure most of the day and pretty quiet as we just kind of notched down uh, through the session. The last uh, 10 minutes uh, found a pretty sharp rally. Uh, uh, looked like uh, some short covering after uh, uh, putting trying to put pressure on all day. We ended up the day finish mix, the front end of the cattle market uh, a little bit lower, the back end a little bit higher, unchanged to a little bit higher. So uh, brings back uh, the volatility uh, when you thought it was going to be mundane. Uh, nope, it's not going to be that way. Feeders finished all, finished lower. They uh, did participate in the uh, rally, came up off their lows, but uh, still didn't manage to uh, finish any higher. Cutouts a little higher at noon, uh, light test. Haven't heard of any uh, any trade in the country uh, so far today either. Uh, over in the hogs, lower all day long. Uh, uh, cash still leading the way. Cutouts at noon, though, were higher, uh, but uh, uh, that seems to be uh, the mantra here in the uh, livestock lately. Higher cutouts, but uh, lower trade uh, uh, in the uh, hogs. So uh, right now, just improving the uh, packer margins. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughtered through the first two days, expected to be 235,000, 2,000 more than last week. Hog slaughter projected at 920,000, and that'd be 12,000 more than last week. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Agriculture. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. I'm talking with Randy Lloyd. He's the uh, DeKalb Asgro Technical Agronomist. Uh, works in uh, central western Nebraska. And Randy, uh, harvest is kind of crawling along. Uh, what's the progress out in your part of the country? Well, we are making progress, which is uh, positive. It's been a bit of a challenge, as it has been in uh, many locations this year. Uh, the last estimate I saw was we're about 20% behind our average. Um, so in my territory, that means we're probably about halfway there. For corn, soybeans, obviously, for the most part, are wrapped up. Well, that's, uh, that's good news. How about the yields on the soybeans? So yields this year were very good on soybeans uh, across the board. I think there were uh, indications of certainly... Uh, adequate weed control in several fields, and uh, those fields yielded uh, well. 
where we experienced some issues with uh, Palmer Amaranth and Kosha. Um, maybe not even the whole field, but even around the edges, it, it did tend to pull the field average down. So I think uh, as it was this past year, weed control, uh, weed resistance management is going to be a, a key to getting those soybean yields up and keeping them up. Certainly something to look at as we look to uh, next year. What about the corn? Boy, we've seen a lot of wind uh, gusts as high as 50, 60, 70 miles an hour at times. Uh, is there some damage in your part of the country? Yes. Uh, we had uh, quite a bit of damage, actually. And and I'll even go back to uh, even September where we had some unusual late-season thunderstorms that included hail. Um in the area that I cover, that Broken Bow area probably took the brunt of some of those storms, and we had significant damage both on our corn and soybeans. Then we kind of move into October, and you know, we, we do live in a windy part of the country, so we do expect these pretty much every year. I think the difference this year, though, is uh, typically we see some high wind events in that early first week, first 10 days of October. This year, we had four to five uh, significant wind events in the latter half of that month. And again, as you mentioned, you know, some of those, those gusting winds were in that 50 to 60 plus range. And that's just not a good scenario for corn at this time of the year. So we're hoping to get that uh, corn out without uh, too much more wind. It looks uh, fairly uh, fairly favorable uh, this week to uh, make a dent in that uh, corn crop. But what else should uh, producers be looking for when they're uh, finishing up the corn? Well, I, I think as always this time of year, if you've talked to your seed rep or your seed agronomist or your consultant, and they're concerned about stock integrity on a particular hybrid, you may want to kind of rearrange your schedule and go after that field first. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the, the forecast looks pretty good. I don't think uh, there's any major wind events in the forecast, but uh, it is November. So we know the stocks are um, a bit of a challenge this year, and we, we really want to get those fields out that may be susceptible to lodging or, or particularly to eardrop. That's Randy Lloyd. He's a DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist and on the road for agriculture. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Let's find out what happened today and the reasons behind it when it comes to these grain futures trades. Joining us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. I'd say it was pretty quiet today. Look at the narrow trading ranges and not much happened right since 9.30 practically. Yeah, I think you're just seeing some pre-four positioning. I expect that to continue here, the bullish bets in beans and the bearish bets in corn. I'll tell you what, if you're looking for a wild card or something to, to pop up that not everybody's expecting, I think if the USDA just stays where they are for corn, we could see a rally off that. And then soybeans, you know, any hike in, in, in yields, I think, maybe sends the trade tumbling a little bit. There are some bullish things going on on the demand side, but, um, you know, I worry a little bit about uh, $10 January contract. It, it just has been a pretty heavy level, and uh, we ran up there close to it today, and it just can't seem to want to get over. What about... The Thursday report when it comes to U.S. stockpiles and world stockpiles. 
Well, I think the world numbers are going to be friendly going forward. And even with good crops down in Brazil, you're still going to see a carryout come in globally on the bean side. And that's that's a story. Also for wheat, you know, wheat wheat supplies are high, but they're coming down. So kind of working through our supplies slowly. Exports still stink here. So I don't look for anything to change domestically in the short term. But, you know, we catch a problem somewhere in the other. And, and given that the La Nina down in South America really kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I think it's 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 done its job. I know it's just developing right now, but it certainly has put a kink in the south of southern hemisphere wheat production. I, I expect there to be some problems some somewhere down the line in corn. You know, we still have uh, the big bulk of the growing season to go through. The next two-week forecasts look pretty friendly, but really what you want to keep your eyes on, I think, is heat. Um, you know, if anything, you know, the moisture levels that we get, too much moisture now in the season, that, what we've learned here in the U.S. crop is that you really don't want to be buying into that too much. But the heat story is something we really haven't had to deal with, even in the U.S. crop for the last, you know, six six weeks of the growing season. It was you know, below 80 pretty much everywhere. And once they started to get those heat temps cranked up, I think the market maybe looks to rally a little bit. The question I, the, the, the big question I'm getting asked is, should I reown this crop on corn? And I, my advice would be, it depends on where you're selling it. If you're going to sell it in the upper 350s for the December contract, I don't think buying March around 370 makes sense. If you catch a break and you happen to sell your crop down around, say, 340, 335, I definitely look, think you'll get the March contract. Speculators, maybe you want to look at March alone somewhere near 350. Just think there's a lot of value there as we get into the uh, JFM period. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Be sure to go to danielsagmarketing.com, or you can call them direct to 866-825-8561. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Closing Ag Information and Commentary brought to you by Central Valley Irrigation, the smart investment.